Monday and happy Memorial Day to everybody out there. I want to thank you very much for taking the time, as always, for coming and listening to this podcast. My name is Manny De La Cruz, and today we have a special guest, Miss Eileen Tapia. She works with the Censure. She is a uh, graduate from the University of Texas El Paso and a huge advocate for helping students out and young professionals. Uh, we're going to have a very interesting conversation. But before we get into that, I hope again that you are enjoying your Memorial Day weekend and that you, of course, take the time to remember the reason for the uh, for the uh, holiday. Right. In memory of those that have served. And if you have somebody in your in your in your family or if you yourself have served, I want to thank you for your service and for the services of your family. So today, I hope you enjoy this conversation as always, as much as I enjoy doing it. Hey, Eileen. So, hey, thanks for making yourself available. Uh, sorry I canceled on you without even knowing on Monday. So um, I didn't expect that to happen. But like we talked a little bit ago, uh, fires happen and I had to put a fire out on Monday to to say the least. But again, uh, welcome. How are you doing? No worries. We we all have some of those Mondays, but I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Um, how about yourself? I'm doing I'm doing pretty good living living the coronavirus <laughs> lifestyle. So we'll get into that, of course, at some point. But why don't we start off with something basic? Just kind of tell us who you are, where you went to school. Who is Miss Tapia? Of course. Um, like you said, my name is Eileen Tapia. I was born in El Paso, um, but I was raised uh, most of my childhood life in Juarez. And so it wasn't until my brother wanted to go to high school in El Paso that we actually made the move there. Um, the reason he wanted to do that is to um, understand how um, to apply to a college in the United States, um, possibly get more scholarships, that kind of deal. Um, and so I wasn't aware of all that. I just, you know, came in the bundle to El Paso. And so um, when I was in high school, I had to start working. And so you, there's a lot of community service things that are promoting in high school. And, and I wasn't part of that until I got to UTEP. Um, and so I joined SHIP my first semester. And, you know, they had all this leadership development, professional development, community service events that it, it kind of like blew me away that I was then part of it before. And so when I got to UTEP, my resume, um, out of high school was two pages. Um, wow. When I joined, when I was in UTEP, I did not know what an internship or a co-op was. And so SHIP uh, really gave me a lot of the tools that are not part of the engineering curriculum um, to be able to succeed. And, you know, I, I graduated with um, multiple internships and um, got my industrial engineering degree. And now I'm working at Accenture. Uh, I was part of the strategy and consulting um, business group. And I think, you know, now that I'm on this part of the bridge, it's very important for me to keep 
the engagement going from from student to corporate, um, I personally felt really lost because I'm a first generation student um, that really I, I felt that I didn't know who to ask certain stuff. Yeah. And things like financial, as far as my family is concerned, you know, I'm, I'm the first one who makes so much more money than them. And so taking an insurance, like knowing what to do with the money um, are some of the things that I think that a lot of young professionals, you know, off their track. I've always been a high performer in um, like as, as working professional and as a student. And so understanding what that means, not in an engineering setting, I think it's it's very interesting. And so um, I'm happy to be here with you and, and share some of um, my thoughts with your thoughts um, to the students that are listening to this, because I think it's important for them to succeed as a student, but also succeed as a professional once they they get to the workplace or if you know their workplace is the academia i think it's it's important for them to understand what that looks like yeah so so when i thought about having you on and 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 sharing and again thanks for 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 kind of telling us a little bit about yourself and i'm gonna go back but i kind of want to you know set the stage as to why you know i wanted to talk to you a couple things right i met you uh, I can't. I was trying to think of when exactly we met, and I couldn't necessarily pinpoint it. But I know I met you through through Joseph, right? And through uh, you were still mm-hmm. a student at UTEP, and I was, uh, it, you know, still starting to get involved with the with the ship and ship recruiting through Exxon Mobil, and kind of still getting my feet wet around that. And so, uh, but then I, I, I've I've kind of seen you go through that. Uh, transition and I knew you were you know you went into coming from UTEP going to Accenture and now being a young professional so there's we're going to talk a few uh, things about that but the last time I saw you right was at RLDC5 in Louisiana and so Mm -hmm. you and uh, William Gonzalez which I had on the last episode uh, you guys like did a a presentation together on that financial stuff and I heard I sat in on that presentation and just like you shared right now you were talking about like what it what this meant right like you're coming from a different beginning now you know you you got into this career and now you have this money and and there's things that people don't tell you or that that your own family can't counsel you on so you you combine those things i was very interested in 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 kind of kind of getting your perspective on stuff and then also knowing that you did some you know you started to get involved a little bit in 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 recruiting with the center which we'll we'll get to in a second so coming out of this uh of this covid-19 pandemic and and <laughs> starting to ramp up there's going to be some challenges so we're going to cover a wide spectrum of stuff probably in in the next hour uh but i, I like uh I, I wanted to get that your perspective because of some of those things now i want to go back right so you mentioned hey that when you first moved here uh when your family your family finally made the move from juarez over over to el paso it was because of your brother how much older is your brother my brother is three years older than I am. Okay, so you were there was some gap there, and I think you said, "Hey, you you were kind of going along with emotions." Uh, in hindsight, knowing that there were some things that your that your brother wanted to do as far as going to college and stuff, what did he pursue? Uh, so he he graduated with his mechanical engineering degree, and so when we moved to El Paso, he went straight into high school. I went into eighth grade, um, so middle school. Okay, and so. To that point, um, I it was a cultural shock for yeah. me to move. Um, especially, we we didn't know um, about you know 
if you live somewhere, the school that gets assigned to you, it depends on your zip code, you know, that, that type of thing. That doesn't happen in Mexico. So um, I got placed in the worst school, middle school that you could imagine in like that neighborhood. And so, um, you know, that was my first exposure to like real cholitos and like people calling me the outsider yeah. kind of person. And so when I was in Juarez, I was very involved in volleyball. So I think volleyball was, you know, what, what kept me grounded to the, the most positive people that I could be around. And that helped me transition into, into high school because I already knew uh, a group of girls that we've been playing for a year now together. And they were, you know, my first friends when, when I started high school and unfortunately I had to drop uh, my, my junior year, uh, you know, to start working. And okay. so I, I think, um, you know, I, I rolled with the punches, um, trying to follow my brother, but, um, he was the one who first got to UTEP, you know, figuring out how to apply, um, all those crazy stuff. And I was able to follow those steps and, I think one of the main reasons that we both ended up going to college at UTEP was because uh, we could afford that. My brother is the most, like the smartest person that I know. I think, you know, the financial, at least for me and my brother, was that what we could afford and UTEP um, gave us a, a great bunk for uh, a great bunk for our buck um, yeah. in order to get our engineering degree. And a lot of people, you know, are, are not super proud of going to UTEP or going to a smaller university, but the mentors I have met, the community that I ran into, um, you know, I think we met at a mass event. Um, I think it was at a mass event that we met because Joseph was super involved with the board, um, Will Davis as well, and I think okay. we met at, at one of those interactions. Okay. And so Maes had such a big presence at UTEP and I got, you know, wonderful mentors from there that I don't think students think about, okay, you want to be the, the small fish on the big pond, like, you know, one of those top one tier universities, or do you want to be a big fish on a smaller university? And so um, I think the mentors and the just exposure that I got of going to a smaller university uh, doesn't compare on the opportunity that I would have had in a, in a bigger university. Yeah, no, you make a good point. And you kind of said, Hey, I went there because that's what, you know, part of it was, it was convenient and you could afford it and, and, and all that stuff. I mean, my, I mean, I went to, to San Antonio college community college, and then I transferred to UTSA uh, there in San Antonio, Texas, again, small commuter school. Uh, my initial reason for going was that it was the same thing, right? It was, it was convenient. It was affordable. And once I got in, just like you, you were saying, well, I mean, I started at the community college, but I had that uh, access to, like you said, mentors and and people that and programs uh, for, to to kind of that helped me navigate and at least make sense of what it kind of meant to get an engineering degree. Not so much how to use it later, which we'll get into in a bit, but at least how to get it and what some uh, what potential was. So, like for me, uh, I don't think I even. Uh, I can't, I'd be lying if I said I did comparisons. It wasn't like I didn't even, to me, it was like, if I was going to go back to school, it was going to be there in San Antonio. Right. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and of course things turned out, uh, uh, 
good for for the for the both of us, right? So you mentioned something in there, right? And and and, and about having access to to like mentors, right? And I saw recently, I think you posted a couple of pictures of some of some people that you're still talking to. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, right? There's a couple of professors, maybe. Uh, do, do you still yeah. find yourself leveraging that the, the mentorship and that network at school, even the, even now that you're a professional? Yes. Um, so I I mentioned Dr. Uh, Peter. He goes by Pedro Golding. Um, he was more of my academic mentor, and then Dr. Gilbert Moreno. Um, he was more of my professional mentor. So I I met them my freshman year. Uh, Dr. Golding was teaching his uh, 1301 engineering class. And, you know, we were in dream as it gets, engineering students, uh, first semester. And he brought um, for one of the classes, Dr. Moreno as a guest speaker. And they say that, you know, since they saw me, they, they knew that I had something in me. Um, they didn't know what yet, but, you know, they, they kept their eye on me. And Dr. Golding helped me get my first internship uh, my freshman year. And then, you know, after that, their relationship evolved. They were both of the advisors for my internship at UTEP. It's a joint chapter. Um, and so they really coached me through my collegiate career. And so I didn't know what the relationship was going to evolve as a professional. And so I, I have, you know, random check-ins with them. And so I was calling Dr. Moreno one time and it was after we, we went to our LDC five and I was like, yeah, Dr. Moreno, like, you know, me and one of my friends gave this financial literacy workshop and it went really well. We learned this. The first one, you know, was a little rusty, but then we did that. And I was just like sharing my overall experience. And he's like, well, um, I'm working with Dr. Diane Golding, who is Dr. Golding's wife. And she got a grant that it's called Yes, She Can. And one of the main pillars um, in that grant is financial literacy. So he was like, I think you will be a perfect fit to like volunteer your time and work with us to develop this pilot program. And then we're going to implement it on that same 1301 class that I was part of um, to increase the numbers of women pursuing STEM degrees and actually staying in STEM careers. And so I think both of my relationships um, are really, I don't know, I love them and I love how we've been able to evolve first as a student and now as a professional, you know, collaborating in different things. And so I, I feel very blessed that I was able to, to meet them. I feel lucky that I met them my freshman year and that they've been with me um, now seven years. Yeah. And, and look, you, you said something that I was trying to, that, that I, that I, I just realized, as you said it, that's something I haven't talked about with anybody. And you started talking about how these mentorship relationships evolve, right? So it's one thing that we, we you can hear a lot about, the importance of getting a mentor and the important, well, the importance of getting a network and the importance of finding mentors within that and having a variety of mentors. Like you were saying, some, some there was an academic one and then there's a, there's professional ones. And I'm sure you're kind of developing some of these relationships even within Accenture. Uh, but 
one thing that kind of that kind of has hit me or probably started to hit me in the last uh, well, in the last maybe two or three years. Right. So now I just recently uh, celebrated, I guess, my nine years as a professional. And so it's, it definitely doesn't feel like it's been nine years, but uh, it, it goes by so fast. But I did reach a point where there were some mentors that I met, like as part of Mayas. Like if you were if I was to talk about my relationship with Will Smith, uh, uh, with Will Davis, not Will Smith. <laughs> I was like, wow, you know him? Not Will Smith. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. No, with Will Davis. If I was to talk about my relationship with Will Davis, like like what it was when I first met him as a as a freshman at SAC, right? Non-traditional. And here was this guy working at NASA and you know, being all, all you know, super involved with Myas. Like I it, it, that where where that was at versus where it's now and, and the friendship that it's turned into. Uh, and, and how it evolves is completely different, right? Another person that I think about was like Joseph. When I first met Joseph, it was my first couple years uh, as a professional. And at then, like at the time, he had been with the company, I think, 19 years when I met him, right? So he's been there another, mm-hmm. he's well over 20. But I remember like seeing him and, and talking to him and everything was like, he, he would kind of talk to me about stuff and I would do it. But what happens after a certain point is like some of the, I don't want to say the advice ran, runs out, but it just takes a completely different, it can take a completely different turn. And then I have found myself like, okay, I need to find additional mentors, different mentors, you know? Right. Just, and, yeah. and so it's, uh, it, it kind of hit me when you said, Hey, they, they've kind of evolved. Uh, and, and it can, it, I guess it could be, it can be good certainly, but sometimes you, you, I guess I would say one can't forget that you have to continue trying to find people that can uh, help you help you grow. Go ahead. No, and I and I think it goes to the point of of having a personal board of directors. You know, all organizations have them, but like who is really your steering committee for your life, your career? You know, it, it can be mom, grandma, um, your dad, my brother, but like people like Dr. Moreno who has been in the industry, Dr. Golding who can help me uh pursue you know higher education um i didn't mention it but i started recently my master's in systems engineering and i know one of the most influential people uh one was my mom um and two was dr golding but he's like i mean i want you to get your master's like it's, it's going to benefit your career um and all these things and so I'm, I'm grateful that my my team at work has been extremely supportive um, but I think, you know, having that personal board of directors is really important for, for students and professionals to have. And also, um, mentors, um, well, there, there's, I, I think I would like to differentiate, um, mentors are great. Um, and I think mentors at school are, you know, super important for you to accomplish, um, whatever goals you want to, you know, meet, but at work, and I think you would agree with that. Finding sponsors, it's key. And so at work, you need sponsors like higher level um, managers or leadership that is going to really advocate for you yeah. and push you in the direction that you want to navigate your career. Mentors are great, um, but I think sponsors are very important to have in the workplace. And talking about mentors, um, about the evolution of that relationship, I think it's important to know that 
sometimes they can work the the wear the mentor hat. Sometimes they can wear the coaching hat. And sometimes they can wear the I'm just your friend hat. Yeah. And so knowing, you know, what you need from them at specific times is also going to dictate, you know, what what's the output they're giving out to you. No, you make a very good point. Like, and you're right. And I'm glad you, you clarified that. Yeah. Cause I, I wasn't, uh, and just to clarify, like, I'm not saying, Hey, like Joseph and, and, and Will can no longer help me. No, it's just, I find that it's that like the hats change. And, and then, uh, yeah, there's just times where like, if I wanted to ask Will at this point, Hey, how do I make it in, in oil and gas? Well, maybe he can't be the best resource. Right. But there's other things yeah. I can go to him mm-hmm. for where at one time, he, I just needed him for a whole lot of stuff, you know. That's what kind of, kind of what I was trying to to, to say there. So let, look, you talked about sponsorship, and and you kind of hit on something that again, I love the tangents, right? Because this is they, they make it interesting. So currently at work, right? So I'm part. I mean, I, I'm very involved with minority recruiting, and one of the things is 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 doing that. Like, how do you support and retain minority talent? And so. One topic that pops up again is around like like you you call it sponsorship. I've heard it called advocacy, but the difference uh, the 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 point is the same, right? Where where hey, is there some individual who is going to go at bat for you? Um, but where and I guess I don't want to get on a soapbox, but I also want to kind of get your 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 thoughts that say okay, how do you? imagine that that actually happens because there's a couple there and there's a couple of, of schools of thoughts one that says hey no somebody literally tells somebody that i have to be it regardless of of, of what i do and i'm prefacing that and, and kind of making making a point there versus others that say hey there's someone who's going to go at bat for you but only if you meet certain criteria like I don't know if I did a good job giving a spectrum there, but what are your thoughts? How does that actually happen? So in in my experience, it, it really happened organically. Um, I, I'm not sure if my manager is going to listen to this, but I think he's a, a key example. Um, he is very particular about the way he works, um, but he is, an exceptional leader. Um, I think he was the one who I, I truly saw the that he was now wearing that coaching hat. Now he's wearing the mentoring hat. Yeah. Now he's wearing the PM hat. Um, and so I, with my relationship with him, I really saw closer clear when he was doing what. And, you know, when, when you're new in a team, uh, when you barely start working with someone, you're trying to, to make the most out of it. But at the same time, you're basically in training wheels for some time yeah. until you basically prove yourself. And now, um, you know, your leaders are able to trust you and little by little, you know, they, they start removing the training wheels and now they know if they give you a task or, you know, own a work stream, they know that you're just going to take it and go and you're going to make the most out of it. The relationships, it's not the point that if there's a question, they know that, I'm going to ask the question that, that I'm not just going to wait on something until something goes wrong. And so I think one of the first things is building that trust in their relationship and having very open communication. Um, I think after that, um, I, what I have done is, okay, 
where do I want my, my, my career to go? This is where I talk to my mentors. I, I talk to, I do what they're called and, you know, informational interviews. I just want to talk to someone um, to, to learn about what they do at work and you know, where they come from and their story. And so, you know, maybe I talk to someone, I really like that person, but I really don't like what they're doing. Okay. So, you know, keep exploring. And so from all that information, now I can make a decision. Okay. This is where I want my career to go. And this is something that it's very important. And I've been learning a lot about it. It's voicing what I want. Nobody knows what I want unless I tell them. And so voicing what I want with my leaders, not only my senior manager, project manager, but like also having conversation with director, I think it's important for them to know. Um, and I think one, one of the things that Dr. Moreno taught me freshman year, a lot of people say, oh, your network is who you know, your network is who you know. And to me, and what has been my experience, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Because who knows you, or knows what are you capable of, knows, you know, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses and where you're going to succeed. And so I think that is, is a key aspect of a sponsorship, like who is, you know, willing to put their hands on the fire for you because they know what your potential is and what you're willing to take. Um, so I think that's, my take on it. No, and, and look, and there was a, there was a lot embedded in there, and I kind of want to unwrap it a little <laughs> bit, right? I always like going back and unwrapping it, right? So first, you started talking about your immediate supervisor, right? And you kind of talked mm-hmm. about the relationship that y'all had, and and realizing that it's a good one, and and so I think to me that's step one. Like you have to figure out, you got to understand what the working relationship with your supervisor is or isn't, and 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 sometimes you're going to have, and I've had a great supervisors, great managers, and I've had not so great managers, right? But in every case, I, I realize that that's like step number one, regardless of what role that I have. And we can get go down an entire tangent about how to handle a bad situation. But uh, I, for the sake of time, I kind of want to go on to the other parts that you started talking about. Then you started talking about organizational awareness. Like you got to understand, like I tell folks, hey, you at some point, you know, early, maybe not necessarily in a year one thing, but certainly towards the end of year one or definitely by year two, like you need to start having an idea of what the org chart looks like. And I say that people say the org chart and I'm like, yeah, you need to know who the people are in the position of influence. Right. And you need to know your role and your department relative to the, the, the org chart, like, are you considered a mover and a shaker as part of your group? Are you in a service organization? Like you need to understand who the, who the customers and who the service, you know, who the service departments are. And, and through that, right, you start to get an idea of who those people that potentially need to know who you are, are. <laughs> and then the third part that I like that you talked about was like, you said you have to, nobody knows what you want more than you. And I think you start, we started this conversation with like advocacy, but then there's a whole thing about self-advocacy. Like whenever you're right. given the, the time or, or maybe you generate the time by asking, like you said, these informational meetings and so on, like you have to know that you have to tell people what you're, you've been doing, what you're capable of doing and overall sharing your, uh, your story. Right. So 
Yes, I agree with you. And I love where the very first thing that you, or one of the first things you said was like, hey, it happens organically. Right. And as you were yeah. saying that, like, have you ever re- read the book Lean In? I have not. Okay. It's on my list. So, but, it's, uh, so it's, a, it's a really good book. Sheryl Sandberg, right? She used to be a, uh, what was it for Facebook? It was a C, one of the chief. COO. COO. Thank you. A COO for Facebook. But she, it's, there's a whole part where she talks about mentoring, right? And, and I'm probably messing this completely up. But the point of, of one of her <laughs> quotes was like, hey, you know, if you perform, mentorship will happen. Right. People start right. to to notice you and 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 or like the other parts is she talks about, hey, don't go asking for, a, you know, a mentor. They'll come to you. Right. Again, it, 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 it speaks to uh, if you understand what you're supposed to do and if you go in there trying to build relationships, the rest kind of follows along. Right. Like and I think that's been the same for me. Like, I don't think I've ever gone and with an expectation of like telling my supervisor, hey, I need you to, I need a mentor for this and you need to assign it to me. Right. Like, or I've participated in like the company facilitated mentorship programs. They're a great way to kind of get started, but what happened with those relationships and whether or not they paid off, like that was completely up to me. Right. Right. Or at least half of it, right. was up to me to say, am I going to actually engage with this mentor versus just sitting there and staring at him or her and waiting for them to do something magical for me. Right. So I suspected you would lean towards this way. (laughs) Right. But I will say. And and one last thing that I want to mention that you that you talk to, you know, early career folks that they need to understand their org chart. Um, I think it's very important for them to understand how they're um, how they're being measured. Um, What are their performance? um expectations and you know if they feel that or if they don't feel that they have the resources to succeed you know they also need to voice that to to supervisors to mentors to someone um because i feel that especially as, as women that we we tend to be um I, I think there's not a happy medium i think if we don't say something it's like, oh, because women are quiet. And then if we're very vocal, like I'm trying to be at work super vocal about uh, my career and what I want, then we're seen as assertive. And so I I think um, just there needs to be an understanding on what the intentions are. And I think it's key for um, early career um, professionals to understand how they're going to be in measure. Because let's say I start in, you know, September. Our performance review, it's in June, um, and that's when they have those discussions. So I have from September up until June to put together my story on what's going to be talked about me because I'm not in those performance reviews. I have, you know, someone representing me. So I need to understand how behind closed doors my story is being portrayed. And one of the things I also think it's very important, and I don't know if we're going to get to this, is part of your personal brand at work. Um, I, I think it's it's key to succeed as a professional, um, especially if you are a high performer at school and maybe someone has been struggling on how to be a high performer at work. Um, I think it goes back to your personal brand and um, organizational awareness. Okay, let's let, let's pick those two things, right? Again, love the tangents, right? So you started talking. You started talking about performance reviews, 
And I shared today on LinkedIn, like I had my performance review today. So this morning at uh, virtually from my bedroom uh, uh, on Zoom with one with the spiffy little background, my boss and I had my performance review. And so I wanted and you started saying yours is about like so your yours is here in a couple of months. Huh? The perform yep. your, your your official performance review. I suspect that prior to that meeting or whatever that someone has to tell your story, you meet with your supervisor. Has that already happened for you or not yet? So the way it works at Accenture, yeah. you have what they call a career counselor. Okay. And that when you start is just, you know, randomly assigned to you. You know, some managers it's available and it's assigned to you. Okay. Um if you want, you can change it. And so the reason I changed it the first week of uh, my Accenture journey was because my assigned career counselor left the firm. And so I um, I was in training in uh, Chicago and, you know, I they told us the career counselor is like very important for your career. Make sure you establish meetings and all those things. And I was like, well, I don't have one. Okay. <laughs> so what do I do? And so, you know, they, they have a portal where you can request a new one. And so when you request a new one, they have suggestions for you. And so basically, I, I went through all their profiles and I found this one manager that um, he was very, very involved with messy. And I was like, you know, shit, it's messy. You know, they share the same core values. So might as well ship him an email and, and see what he says. And so... That's how um, I got my career counselor at first, uh, but then I um, I make sure, or I guess I encourage my career counselor to talk to my supervisor. Um, that way, they're in the loop of what I'm doing. Like yeah. I can tell, you know, my my career counselor what I'm doing, but you know, as I progress, my my project manager has. I guess strategically been doing this of basically putting challenge um, and challenge again and another challenge to me. And so I basically just been eating the bait, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it, it's made me grow as a professional um, and understanding what I'm capable of and what I want to do. Um, and so just making sure that all of my supervisors um, from all my projects, I've talked to my career counselor and that I, I have um, monthly meetings with my career counselor yeah. and I basically just update him on like life um, and professional work. But I think it's, it's at the beginning, it was more about building that relationship um, than now that I want to make, you know, a jump to a different level that he really truly believes the story. And it's just not like, Oh, it's just another mechanical ease. Um, you know, I'm just going to tell the story, but if they ask me questions, I might not know about it. What kind I of, didn't what, want that for myself. What kind of preparation do you do ahead of those of those monthly meetings? Um, so I I have a big Excel spreadsheet. Um, with we we basically have different five different categories, and within those five categories, um, the expectations. Of, of the role. And so since I wanted to get promoted, I took the, the Excel sheet of the next level. And so I know that if there's a higher chance of me getting promoted if I'm already performing at the next level. So okay. 
I didn't grab the, the expectations of my current role. I grabbed the expectations of my next role. Yeah. And, you know, if I needed to work on item B, you know, I talked to my manager, hey, I want to work on like object, objective B, like, you know, what can we do to make it happen? And so just, again, going back to being very vocal about what you want. Um, I think Accenture, it's, it's a great place for, for them to challenge you and give you more work. Um, and I've learned that the more good work that you do, the reward, it's more work. Yeah. And look, and, 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 so, and, and in that, right, like, so what you embedded in there too, like, and, and I can hear the amount of ownership that you take in the process, right? Like, you know, okay, I, and I think you said it earlier uh, on where you were like, hey, I, I need to know what my story is so that they know what my story is. Cause at the end of the day, whenever that meeting comes down to them talking about your performance or whatever, you know, talking about you for the next role or giving you whatever, uh, slot or rank or I don't know, however they do it at, at Accenture, right? But in some way, some way, shape or form, you're being evaluated. You're not going to be there, right? Someone else right. is going to be there and telling, your story. So very similar for me, right? So I mean, uh, I work at ExxonMobil. And so it's, I think you said your performance uh, period is between September and June, right? So ours is mm-hmm. like end of March to, uh, I mean, April to March. Okay. And so, so uh, yeah. And I think you said it, you have that whole time to put your story together. So what you didn't say is like, Hey, I scrambled last minute to try and remember everything I did the year before. Like it's, right. it's rateable throughout the entire year you understanding like where you're at and where you want to go and then taking those monthly meetings and, and, and telling your story. Like, I think that like, that is, uh, I've been a supervisor of uh, a first year engineers, like, you know, uh, young engineers, and and that's a struggle for a lot. And the ones that out, that, that out, that outperform others are the ones that take that kind of ownership. Alternatively, I've seen folks that are like, okay, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And it's like, that's not enough. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's not enough. So even then, like uh, and even that even when I've been a supervisor, uh, I've still someone's always in charge. Right. So I've had to put my story together and I have to have those meetings and have the one on ones. And when I have the one on ones with my boss, like take them seriously and make sure that I I love what you said. Talk about life and talk about work like it's got to be a mixed bag. Like you need to leave an impression about who you are and what you're trying to do rateably throughout the year. And then. I th- like just like you were talking about, well, there's a different people that kind of have a, a hand in telling your story. Like in your case, it's the career coach and your supervisor and so on. Uh, it's also like other people like for us, it's like part of the the process is I need to I need to pick what we call knowledgeable others. Right. Where I need to tell my supervisor, mm-hmm. who should I ask about your your contributions and who you've worked directly with? And then, you know, they they contact those people and they get feedback on what I've done. So I also got to be thinking about who would I reach out to, to tell part of my story when it comes down to it, you know, uh, in March and April. So it's not, it's not like one and done. And I've seen too many folks like, Oh, it's performance review time. And they cram it all into a, to a month. And it's like, well, shoot, like you can't do that. (laughs) Right. And I think it's overwhelming. Um, I'm the kind of person that I need to write everything down because I forget it. Yeah. And so I, I can't imagine, you know, if you wait till last minute trying to remember what you've done all year. Um, so I, I I do keep a very extensive Excel sheet that helps me with that. And the issue, which is, I guess, the 
the inverse is that now I need to pick, you know, what's going to really tell my story the way I want it to be mm -hmm. uh, portrayed. And so I, I, I've been through the process once and we, we shall see how it continues over yeah. the years. I don't know. It's, it's, it's good. And I think you, I think you got the basics covered. <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised <laughs> how many people don't. So that's, that's very refreshing to hear you talk at that level of, of ownership on, on, on and like telling your story very early on in your career. I think you'll do good. Um, yeah. So look, you know, like I said, mine was today. And I think I, I, part of my talking points were like, I said that too. Like, I understand if I, that I won't be there. So my job for what I want to accomplish in the next hour is for us to be in agreement about what my story is. Like, that's literally what I say. Right. <laughs> and these are the three yeah. things that I want to make sure that we hit. And we just kind of talked about everything and, and got feedback back and forth or whatever, understanding that I'll officially be, you know, categorized uh, here. I think it's also like in June or something like that. So anywho, uh, good stuff. Congrats. Didn't think we were going to be talking about performance, but it was very timely. So, so I took the bait, as you said before. <laughs> so let's, let's switch over to the students. We've been talking a lot, young professionals. I think that's an awesome topic, but I also want to make sure that we hit on the students. Now, in your time of, at Accenture, you've also gotten a, a bit involved early on, too, into uh, recruiting. Can you talk a little bit about what you've done with recruiting with Accenture? Of course. Um, I mainly help with uh, recruiting uh, at the SHIP National Convention. Um, last year that it was in Phoenix, I had the opportunity to go. Um, students get overwhelmed with the amount of prep work that they do to apply to companies and all that. Well, there's a lot of work <laughs> that goes into prepping for a conference as a recruiter as well. That's right. Um, but it was a, a very, um, I actually think I was a little bit more stressed as a recruiter um, than as a student, like running around, making sure that you know, everyone knows where they need to be and that everything's running smoothly. Um, it was a very interesting um, opportunity. And I was also part of the workshop team. So making sure that the workshops that Accenture is giving the students, you know, it, it's valuable to them. And I think it was a little bit easier for me because I'm a, um early um, recent grad. Yeah. I've only been out of school two years, so I think I'm, you know, I'm still kind of close to their age group and what they know and what they don't know. And so um, I'm really looking forward to um, the next convention, whether that is virtual or not. Um, I, I really enjoy the student interactions, uh, learning more about the stories, um, sharing with them what my very positive experience has been at Accenture um, and to just I, I thrive from people interaction. Um, I, I think that's what fulfills me and, you know, makes me happy. Um, those one-on-one -on -one connections with them. And um, even before a conference, I, I mentor a couple of students that want to, you know, have their resumes reviewed or they need to practice a mock interview. Um, so I, I also help in that. And in Houston, locally, I we have what we call the the Houston um, Celebration Day, and so we bring students from our key schools um, from around Houston, and they basically get to do their second and third round interviews on site, and they also get to see our office, our innovation hub, um, and 
we also host a panel with um, analysts from one to two months to one to two years for them to really understand what it's like. The recruiters are not in the room, so they can really talk about compensation. Yeah. Do you really work that much? And like anything that they want to ask, they're, they're free to ask. And so um, I think that's really nice that they're very open um, and vulnerable to share you know, what they really like. Yeah. Hey, look, I'm realizing I made a mistake. So we're going to pause here because I want to make sure that I, I ask you this. I asked you where you went to school and I know that you're an industrial engineer, but I never asked you yeah. what, what, what do you do at Accenture? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Let's, let's talk about that before we continue on. Okay. Um, so when I started Accenture, um, I was part of what we call the CDP, the consulting development program. And so basically this program is a basically gives you the liberty to try different projects and kind of figure out uh, what you want to do in the firm. When I got to Accenture, I didn't know the ocean of opportunities that the firm had to offer. And so this is like, you know, the perfect time to try out different things, figure out what you don't like, what you do like, and then pursue from there. Um, currently in my, um, in my project, um, we're implementing, um, a document management solution for, um, one of our clients. And so I had no experience on, on this tool, um, before I joined the team, but, um, I was able to pick it up really, um, really fast when, when I joined the team and, a lot of project management, uh, requirement analysis, um, validating and testing all the functionalities that, um, you know, the, the client is requiring us. And so first it, it evolved a lot. It, it didn't evolve. It was a lot of like me learning how the team worked, what the project was, how the tool worked, and, you know, where we wanted to go. Yeah. Um, and now um, mentioning the, the thing about, um, you do good work and you get more work. Um, so now <laughs> I'm in charge of uh, all the training. So um, I own the training bucket in the project, which um, has been a great experience. So managing all the logistics with all of the different sites that we're deploying this, this tool to and, you know, actually preparing all the content and just because, I wanted to make it easier for them. I also like created videos on, on how to um, use the tool. And so it's easier for training um, to make sure that they get the full picture of the functionality of the tool. And I think it also helps with uh, user acceptance. And I think one thing that we always need to be doing is identifying gaps for, for future work. And so that that's my current role, um, but Accenture, it's it's growing a lot. And if you want to do AI, cloud computing, um, migrating organizations to the cloud, um, I think there's a lot of technologies out there for for analysts and the and the CDP program to get experience on and really pursue um, the technology that they're really passionate for. 
Awesome. Thanks for, for, for cleaning that up for me. I was like, we talked about a lot and I didn't even ask her, what is a day like in a, as an analyst for Accenture? But okay. So back to the yeah. recruit, back to teeing up the recruiting thing, right? So you, you've had this experience in recruiting. Uh, you, you, like you mentioned, you're a, you're, you're still close to, 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 to the college, to the college bunch. You had your, yeah. your, your, you know, your hiring experience and you had your experience getting internships, but here we are, right? So right now, right, we're barely coming out, barely coming out of this COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we're still, we had talked a little bit before we got on the on the call about what's work uh, uh, been like, right? You're out in El Paso and you got, a, you know, you may, you're not, you know, may get back into the office in July. I was talking mid-June, but anyway, so we ourselves in our base jobs, are, are going through some adjustments, but at the same time, we have recruiting season that's supposed to be coming up in the fall. So I kind of right. wanted to pick your brain and say, I mean, what do you think are going to be some of the challenges for for uh, a student uh, here in this in this next recruiting season? Um, so I think one of the the challenges is going to be whether or not those conferences conventions, career fairs that they usually attend to are going to be in person or not. Um, I I think that's the the biggest challenge because conferences are all over the nation and different states have different regulations. And so that's one point. And the second one, I think students will have to be a lot more proactive on talking to recruiters or people that work at companies in order to really understand um, what kind of work they do and if that's something that they're really going to enjoy doing. Because I feel a lot of students go into like this massive career first and they really don't know really what a company does. And some companies are really good about, you know, okay, I'll tell you what my company does. And they're able to have that conversation. And then maybe after that, they really click. And, you know, they, they take that interview process from there. But I think now they're going to have to be a lot more intentional yeah. with the, the companies that they they talk to. I think the opportunities to talk to companies might be limited. Um, I, I have not attended a, a virtual career fair before. I don't know if you have. Um, so I don't know how, like, you know, waiting rooms to talk to a recruiter, yeah. um, it, it, it's going to look like, like before they used to stand in line, but now are, are they just going to wait in a, in a lobby room? I, I really don't know what that looks like, but what yeah. I do think is if they do want to be more intentional with their time, um, I think LinkedIn is, is going to be a great tool for, for students to reach out to um, professionals, even if they're not recruiters. Um, to just have a conversation with them about what they do at work and, um, you know, the ins and outs of what our role entails. And then a, a nice thing about that, most uh, companies have referral programs. And I think that's the easiest way to get your foot in the door if, if you're trying to really aim for a company to, to take advantage of the referral process because if you're just applying online, you more than likely heard there's going to be one more yeah. applying for that position. And and you hit on something that I think is key here, right? Part of when you were describing your, um, like your, your realization about how much work goes into preparing for a recruiting event, right? You talked about, Hey, I even thought I was, I felt a little bit 
uh, more nervous as a recruiter and all the logistics that go into it and and figuring it out. And that's on a normal conference. <laughs> right. And mm-hmm. like you said, you, you hit another great point, which is like, and there's this virtual space. No, I, me, per, I've been doing recruiting, minority recruiting for probably seven out of the last nine years. Right. Professionally and learn how to be, but it's all been in the face-to-face convention space. And everybody right. on the team, uh, on the on the ExxonMobil ship recruiting team, that's that's all we know. So as we start to gear up for recruiting season, which by the way, right now, and I like being as transparent as I can, like we haven't even gotten there. Like I'm still trying to figure out how to get the base job going, you know? But at <laughs> some point, yeah. you know, when uh, SHIP or, or you know, Saknas and when Nesby and when SWE and everybody starts to announce the platform that, they're, that their convention is going to take, when some of them start saying virtual, there's going to be a lot of learning happening on both sides. So I think, I think empathy on both sides is going to be huge, right? Yeah. And, and I think you'll get it. So I think I've, I've talked to some students that are like worried, like, hey, I got an internship right now or research, but it got, you know, the offer got rescinded or, hey, they're doing some modified version of an internship because of COVID-19. And how do I explain that next year? It's like, look, we're going to know, right? Recruiters are going to know that it was a very weird summer. We're going to understand if you had a, a, an internship and, and, and you, you didn't get to fulfill it. There is going to be, I think, a uh, an element of where where you got an offer from might kind of give you some, you know, kind of start a conversation. But then it's going to be very interesting to know what else did you do during this time? Like, how did you deal with it? Did you learn something new? Uh, you know, that that kind of stuff is, is going to be some of the things that uh, that uh, are going to be very different and specific conversations because of the current situation that we're at. But I think you also need to, like you were saying, like you got it. There's going to be some, a lot of us that have never done virtual and we're going to be trying to figure it out as it goes. Right. So right. Uh, it's almost like, hey, if you have a bad recruiting, I'm not going to be surprised. I will not be surprised of the mistakes I'm going to make heading into this fall. Right. Like the stress of putting the thing together, like telling people, you know, that it's going to be take X amount of time and then it not being what I thought that it was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be learning a bunch of, uh, a bunch of stuff, you know? And, and, and the other thing too is, uh, and this is just me speculating. Um, <laughs> it's going to be, well, like right now I would venture to say there's a lot of industries, different industries and sectors that are still trying to figure out which ways up. And probably still don't know what their fall recruiting is going to look like. Right. right. Are they going to hire the same amount of people as last year? Are they going to, you know, continue to do this thing virtually? Are they going to delay stuff? Are they going to choose not to participate? I think a lot of that stuff is still up in the air, you know? I think it is. And, you know, I, I've met um, graduating seniors, you know, they, they did their due diligence, um, during the fall or the spring, they secured an offer and now the offer was canceled or, you know, revoked because of COVID. Yeah. And so the students are coming into a, a really unstable market right now. And I, I think part of what they need to be mindful about is how they share about how they adapted. Oh, first I thought I was going to get an in-person interview 
and now it's going to be virtual and now it's even shorter than the 12 weeks or whatever however long it is and so you know sharing with the recruiters who are recruiting you know i was able to navigate this by doing xyz i think it's going to be an important part of them showing us how nimble and agile they can be uh with the the current challenges and it's unfortunate that you know an economic um challenge like this one it's it's just hitting them right about when they're graduating or about to graduate for those you know upcoming sophomore and junior yeah i try, i started to do this thing uh on linkedin where i said okay let me see who's still hiring right so i'll go and i'll do job searches uh at, for engineering and i look at different levels right like early career or zero to five and what i'm seeing is like yep there's companies that are still hiring but it might not be the big brands right and so there's still uh, a lot of industry right now that is functional right if you think about hey so mm -hmm. If you wanted to go work at a, at, at, at a restaurant, now is probably not the good time to do that <laughs> or go work into hotel management. That's probably not the good time to go do that either. But there's companies that are in the business of, you know, making certain products like medical products and, you know, PPE and alcohols and all the stuff that you couldn't buy. Heck, I wouldn't be surprised if like Charmin's hiring, right? <laughs> or whoever, whoever, you know, Procter & Gamble, because... These are those are the industries that are obviously still very much needing different roles, right? So what I what right. I'm what, what I would say is that flex that same flexibility that has that you want to sell as a skill, I would say someone needs to be probably flexible in what their first opportunity is, right? Because right. I think uh, there's a lot when I look at a lot of these roles and I read through the description, I'm like, okay, these are solid entry level starting engineering positions, whether it's in manufacturing or project management or even in consulting or sales, uh, they, they the description tells me, okay, someone could benefit from at least starting here for the next couple of years while things recover. And then now as a professional, try to change ships, right? Which is a, oh, yeah, which is a completely different conversation because nowadays to me, that's way more acceptable than 20, 30 years ago. Right. To be jumping ship after your first, you know, after the first couple of years. And I'll also say, who knows, you might land with the company that you just love because uh, because at the end of the day, I, I still think people make a, 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 the workplace. Right. So you could very much fall into a, a, a good situation. But, yeah, very different. I completely agree. It's going to be a very different time that uh, we're going to be getting into. Um, so let's end on something fun. So, COVID so let me just finish. Oh. Uh, let me finish this thought that. Okay. Let me know if you disagree, but um, I think recruiters hire people. They don't hire resumes. And so I think with that thought, um, they, they need to know, you know, how the individual is and what their aspirations and what they bring to the table um, and how they convey their their story as an asset to the organization. No, I completely agree. I mean, the resume, what's on there might get you to the, the you know, pique the interest. But yeah, you're right. At the end of the conversation, someone's going to pick you 
on account of, yeah, there's some probably some basic skills or something. They're trying to find certain experiences, but that final nod tends to be definitely in that people space, right? Do I see this person, you know, working within my group or do they have some conviction for what they want to do? Are they going to, you know, deliver on what they say they are, right? There's a lot of that personal stuff. And I agree. I think in this, in this upcoming recruiting season, now more than ever, I think putting your story and understanding what your narrative is, is going to be extremely important, right? Because the opportunities may be more limited. Right. No, I think, I think you nailed it on, on, on that one. Um, <laughs> so something fun, right? COVID-19, we've all been quarantined up. I'm sitting right here right now. I think I could make a man bun out of my hair. Haven't gotten one, but their lifestyle, wow. <laughs> the lifestyle at the stay at home has has caused a lot of people to pick up new hobbies or find different ways to kill time. What's been your go-to time-killing activity? So I think the first one is spending more time with my family. Yeah. Um, when when I when I moved to Houston for for work, um, I I really wasn't used to not being around family. So I think that's the first one. And then I share this um, this week something that really really helped me. Um, I was sleeping, you know, my probably nine hours, but I wasn't resting. Like I would wake up, even though I I slept everything, I I was tired yeah. uh, waking up, and so um, I started reading right before bed, and that has helped me tremendously. And then after I read, I meditate, and then after I meditate, I go to bed. And so I think you know making it a habit. Before it was like I would read a book here and there, or I would meditate every single time I, I remembered, but now making it a point um, has really benefited how I feel in the morning. And I, you know, we're working from home and people say that you should dress up as, as if you're going to work, but you know, that's going to help boost your morale and whatnot, but it doesn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> it does not work for me. Uh, and I just work with, you know, my, my leggings or some gym shorts and a t-shirt and I think I'm as productive as you know going to the office I'll I'll take that back I think I'm more productive at home because you're you're not you know getting distracted by people talking to you or whatnot which I think is important but (laughs) you you're like on work mode 100% of the time that this is a conversation that I, I had to have with my manager that I said, I'm blocking off my my lunchtime because I was just like eating and working. Yeah. And it, it was just a bad habit. And so I, I have my meal time blocked off. And so, you know, that's my hour to like cook my meal and really enjoy my meal and, you know, my time with my grandma, maybe make a coffee, just catch up and um, just. And then another one has been working out more consistently. Yeah. What, what about you? What, what have kind, you been doing? What kind? I want to go back. What kind of books are you reading? So right now I'm reading uh, The Principles or Principles by Ray Dalio. Okay. And so it's uh, one of my friends um, told me that one of his mentors from one of the leadership programs that he went to told him, hey, if you only read one book, and your whole life, it has to be this one. And so 
what it talks about, it, it's a two-part book. One, the, the first one talks a lot about um, his personal life and how he evolved um, building uh, Bridgewater, um, the investment firm, and his personal principles. And then um, it also talks about work principles. And so I, I've been digesting quite a bit um page 100 right now but it has almost 600 pages wow that's, that's... so i still have a long way to go but it's really easy to read um i i really enjoy the the story um it really makes me think about learning more about economics and how everything works um yeah. he he basically started from his second bedroom in his apartment and so it just puts a lot of things into perspective that if you really have a passion for something and you want to make it work, um, if you have the the right layout and infrastructure, it, it, it's going to succeed and it can be big. Yeah, no, that's that's good. No, I wish you sound like you've been a way more responsible than I have. No, I, I went through, <laughs> I, to me. It's like this was a I don't have kids, though. This was a big adjustment for me. And I'm not look, I can't even go there. Alyssa's been great. She's been holding down the fort with the kids. Uh, she, you know, she works from home, but she's in that meeting planning. So unfortunately, her her job took a hit. Right. But she's been great hanging out with the kids and stuff. But for me, like at first, like I'm not even going to lie, the, the adjustment on the front end was hard for me. Uh, understanding like, OK, how am I going to do my job and stay up to date with what's happening? So in my in my role, right, I do I got to do a lot of market analysis and I got to do a lot of understanding what's happening in, in the world for for certain things and, and really fast. And what helps in being in the office is all the the hallway talk. And so like the first couple of weeks, like my boss was, he was on point, right. You know, as, as the fires were coming. And so I was just on the sidelines and I've shared this another episode, so I won't bog down the listener again with the same story, but that was hard. But then, you know, after, and, and in the absence of knowing what to do for work, man, I started like, we have Netflix. So I started binge watching shows and (laughs) trying to figure out how I was going to do to fill up the day and, 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 uh, I, I mean, I have, uh, I'm in my room, so I got my base next to me. So I'd get distracted by that. And then, you know, so, so the first, I'm not the, the first, I'll say the first couple of weeks was just really rough. And then it was like, I can't do this. This is like, once I realized this was going for the long haul, then I started to make some, some adjustments, right? Like, okay, I'm going to get, I still like getting up early. And before this, I would get up early and go to the gym or, or go into work early when nobody was there. I still do that now. I've seen people recommend the whole, oh, get up and get dressed. I'm like, nope, that I'm with you. That doesn't help. So I get up. I got, you know, gym shorts and a T-shirt and 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 my hair, like I have not had a haircut in way too long and hair's out of control. So if I don't if I don't have to be on a video call, it's just like it's free. It's like a fire hazard. I told my wife this morning. Uh, but if I got to get on a Zoom call, I throw on a baseball cap and. And uh, yeah, but since I'm getting up early and I did realize the same thing as you did, like I could spend all day like I was like, oh, crap, I just spent, you know, five to five or six to five. And it's like 11, 12 hour day. And it's like right. I can't they're, they're, I can't do that. So then I started to like do the checks and balances. So then I started to uh, one thing we did as a family was start bike riding. Right. So we have like this whole goal to each ride 250 miles in uh, the month of May. Right. So it's doable. Oh, wow. It's about it, it's, you know, with some breaks and a 10 mile rides now 
something that's very doable in an hour for me. So I started to like break that in during the day and, and then I get up and work in the garage for like 30 minutes between calls. Like I, I have found that balance so that I wasn't just doing work straight. Right. Cause that's one thing like there's way more work. It'll never get done. And so you need to know when to, uh, when to walk away. So like I try, I try to tell that because it's like, I'm not going to lie and say, Oh, well, I'm a professional. I was geared to know exactly what to do. And it was, you know, I made the best out of it and I persevered. No wrong. <laughs> I'm persevering now, but that's not how it started, I guess is what my, my message would. Uh, right. And I, and I think be. it's until you realize um, that you actually take action on it because I don't know if it happens to you, but you know, when, when closing the day comes around, there's always other things that you could be working on. And so I, I currently have, you know, my desk set up in the same room I sleep. And so I, I have my book here and I have, you know, all of the things in this room. So I think it's very hard for me to like, okay, now it's like Eileen time or, you know, now that I have homework after two years, it's just, geez, I have homework. Yeah. Like I need to disconnect from work. Um, unless, you know, I have something that it's due or that I need to do, but disconnecting from work when you're at home, I think has been my, my biggest challenge. And so I, I think being here with the family helps because when I'm, when I'm home by myself in, in Houston, it's like, oh, I can just, you know, keep on working. Um, but with the family, they're like, Hey, vamos a ver la novela. So. You know, you, you got to go see the novela. That's, that's a perfect segue to my next question. I was going to say, any TV shows or novelas that have gotten some more air? I'm a big TV guy. One thing I share, I'm a TV junkie. So I'm always curious what people watch. So what's the what's the latest? What what's uh, what you've been watching? So um, we've been watching Como Tú No Hay or something like that. It, it's really not the greatest show, but it has <laughs> given us something to do. They never are. Um, Don't feel guilty. <laughs> um, my grandma, uh, she's thank God super healthy, and she goes on a walk right before the show. She walks for thirty minutes. She goes out in the patio and she loops around, and then you know at eight twenty she comes back and she's like, "Ya vamos a la novela." <laughs> and so it's it, more than anything, it has given us you know some some time structure that by eight thirty we need to be with our with our tea. Or our cafecito, watching the novela until, you know, 9.30 or whatnot. Oh, man. So we're right at novela time. So we probably got to wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at the clock. Yeah. Ironically enough, it's almost novela time. No, but that that's probably a good place to end it. Eileen, uh, thanks for, again, spending the last hour for me. It goes by fast, and, and there's probably a ton more we can uh, talk about. I did want to make sure that I plugged one thing for you, right? So we, you did do that financial literacy talk with uh, William, but you also did it as part of the uh, SHIP webinars. Is that still available somewhere? Yeah, that's available. If you do a YouTube search, uh, SHIP National Financial Literacy, um, the the whole webinar was recorded. So yeah. you can find it there. Yeah, because we didn't talk about that, but I like your message. And, and there's a whole thing that we could talk about for another hour about you know, understanding uh, benefits and understanding what to do with that money that you get as an engineer. Because in reality, right. there's probably people at home that have no idea what to do with that quantity of money. And it'd be good to be uh, responsible. I loved uh, the openness that you talked about it at uh, RLDC. I suspect you probably did the same thing on the webinar. I didn't watch it, but uh, uh, it's a very, I like how you, you share your 
personal experience and then uh, talk about what you've learned. And, and William does the uh, does the same thing. So I encourage people to see that. Uh, Eileen, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you or talk more about what you do at Accenture or what does a, a, a woman in engineering look like or industrial engineering look like out in the real world, uh, what's the best way for someone to, uh, to contact you or make a connection with you? Um, I think LinkedIn will be the best way. And it's linkedin.com slash Eileen at Tapia. Um, I'm usually very responsive and, and we can take it from there. I am really into woman empowerment. I, I really want women to succeed as a student as they transition also to the workforce. Um, so I'm more than happy to, to help any, any other, um, Latinas or minority students that they want to get more information about uh, what the transition's like, what my story is, or if they have any mentorship questions, or if they want to learn more about um, a technology company like Accenture. Perfect. I'll make sure and add your that that uh, link in the show notes. So, Eileen, again, thanks very much, and uh, enjoy the rest of your night, and enjoy the novella. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Manny. All right.